Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program covering a wide variety of topics of interest to people with vision loss. I'm Nancy Goodman Torpy. And I'm Pete Torpy. Everyone should do it, I think. It's a lot of fun. It's hard to know what he's talking about there, but you'll be sure to think that it's funny when we're through interviewing today's guests. During the day, Todd Blankhorn is an IT specialist who works at the Canadian National Institute of the Blind. After work, however, he performs in local comedy clubs around Toronto. We'll talk with Todd about how he got into doing comedy and how he integrates some of his experiences as a blind person into his acts. But first for the tip of the week. This week's tip comes from Todd Blankhorn. Honestly, my tip would be I thought about doing this since I was eight years old, and I didn't do it until I was 42 years old. So I think you have to just go out there and do it and don't use anything as an excuse not to. And it sounds like you certainly have a lot of fun doing it. Absolutely. It's the most fun thing I've done in my life, and uh, you get up there and get a laugh. It's the most addictive experience I've ever had of anything I've ever done. Support for Eyes on Success is provided by APHConnectCenter.org, empowering people toward independence and success by providing blogs, information, and resources for individuals of all ages who are blind or visually impaired. Information and referral line are at 1-800-232-5463. You are listening to Eyes on Success. 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 Let's start by meeting Todd and learning about his day job as an IT specialist at the CNIB. My name is Todd Blankhorn. I live in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Um, I work for the Canadian National Institute for the Blind as their manager of IT application and technology training. Um, I've been married for about 15 years and have two boys who are 9 and 11. Um, and yeah, I started losing my sight when I was 8 years old to uh, optic neuropathy that they don't have a cause for. So it's just continued over my life to the point now where I am like mostly almost completely blind and have a guide dog and use a cane and all that stuff. And uh, I started doing stand-up comedy a couple of years ago when I lost the majority of my sight. That's when I started doing stand-up and kind of local success with it. So it's been great. So most of the show will be talking about your experiences as a stand-up comedian, but can you tell us a little bit more about what you do for CNIB? We're just starting up a department to look at um, how to support our internal, starting off with our internal staff on using their applications and technology and stuff better. I don't know if uh, you're screen reader users, but uh, especially JAWS, it's one of those things where there's so many ways to do every little thing that uh, we just kind of feel like we could provide better support to our staff who are JAWS users or NVIDIA users. So um we're just trying to, I'm just in the beginning of figuring out how to uh, start a program to kind of support that. Well, I've been a JAWS user since the early 90s with uh, Windows, and I must say it is very flexible. There are a lot of options, and it can be confusing for people who are just new and getting used to it. Yeah, there's a there's a big learning curve, and um, especially people who've been using it for years, they do things a certain way, and it's a benefit, but it's also an issue where like there are 
10 different ways to navigate a page. So it's kind of hard to sit with someone and say, I'll do this, right? Because everyone does it differently. So we're just trying to figure out a way to standardize how to give people a, a ability to use a tool better so they can do their job more efficiently. Well, and then if they can do their jobs more efficiently, CNIB can provide more services to more people who need them. So that's great. Yeah. And it just, it gets people out in the workforce too, right? Like there's such a barrier to people getting jobs that if we can get our staff trained better, then we can get people that come to us trained better. And it kind of benefits everybody, I think. But that's been our push for the last couple of years. Eyes on Success is made possible in part by our corporate partners. Underwriting pairs the impact of targeted marketing with the integrity of community goodwill. Learn more by sending an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. This week's focus topic is Todd Blankhorn's experiences as a stand-up comedian. Well, Todd, considering that you're doing stand-up comedy these days on the side, I was tempted to ask you to start us off with a joke. But maybe before we talk about your comedic experiences, maybe you can tell us how you got involved in IT. Uh, yeah, so I was always one of those nerdy kids. Um, I'm 45, so I grew up in the 90s with like 286s and 386s and all this. Um, so I used to like rip computers apart and put them back together and program and do all this stuff. So when I got to college, like everything just worked out perfectly. I was going to take business and men. And at that time, they said, oh, would you think about computer science? Like we can't get people to sign up for it. So I got into that class in that program. And then like two years later, there was a 40,000 person waiting list. So it was just kind of lucky coincidence to get into that. And I liked it and kind of went from there. And it just happens that it turns out to be a profession that if you do lose your sight, it seems like a profession would be very difficult to do if you're blind, but it's actually one of the, I think, one of the more flexible uh, industries to be in. There's a lot of opportunity right now, especially if you know accessibility stuff. Oh, I agree. As a blind person, computers are quite accessible these days and really put us on a level playing field with many of our peers. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, my wife and I were just talking about that the other day because the time frame where I lost my sight, the technology seems to be keeping up with my situation uh, coincidentally. Like I think about even 10 years ago with seeing AI and stuff like that, like I have a phone that my kids get off the school bus. I can hold it up and it tells me where they are. Like that didn't exist, right? Like it's, it's pretty amazing. There's no good time to be blind, but this is it, I guess. Yeah, that's great. Was that an issue as you were transitioning through your vision changes going through college? For the first years of my career, I had enough central vision that I was, didn't use ZoomText or anything. So um, I just did desktop support, network support. And as my site decreased, I kind of moved into different roles. So what I've been doing has always been able to kind of keep up with my accessibility needs. It sounds like you managed to go through the transition pretty smoothly by just keeping aware of new technologies, being willing to use new technologies, and just work with the changes. Yeah, for sure. Tech is obviously kind of the biggest thing when you go through this right now. Um, I wouldn't say it's smooth. It's never smooth, I guess. But um, I feel like now we have the resources to kind of keep up in what's it's competitive out there right so i feel like now you can transportation's easier shopping's easier like all that stuff is doable where i don't know how i would have done it 20 years ago right yeah it's never fun being blind but these days is a little bit easier with the technologies and the tools available to us and you obviously found some humor in being blind you said you started your side career as a stand-up comedian after your vision failed yeah, I like I've always wanted to do it. I'm 
a huge uh, stand-up kind of nerd. Um, my brothers and I, when when we were kids, we were really into stand-up. We're like I'm just a comedy nerd, so it's always been interesting. And I thought when uh, my site finally went, I thought, why not? I'm never going to do it if I don't do it. So I just joined the Second City class, and then it kind of worked out. You sound like a person who's pretty comfortable with your blindness and went through the transition pretty smoothly. When you decided to jump into doing stand-up comedy, did you have any concerns or issues that you thought you needed to address as a blind comedian being on stage? Yeah, it's funny. It took me a really long time to get comfortable being blind and asking for help. And for me, it was actually a bit of a relief when I started using a cane and a dog because I didn't for so long not until after my second child was born, actually. But because of that, I just kind of thought, it, it put me in that mindset because I had kids and I had to, you don't have that choice of not asking for help. It kind of made me just accept it. So now I'll just email someone if I'm going to show and say I'm blind, can you, and this is the help I need. And then um, I always open my sets with a joke about it because it seems to kind of cut that tension because there is kind of tension. It takes me longer to get to the stage. I have to hold my cane up might not be facing kind of the right way. Yeah, sometimes you need an icebreaker with meeting new people. Yeah, so like I go up and I'll usually say something like, uh, it's a good looking crowd and that kind of cuts it. Or if my dog's with me, I'll say, um, oh no, a ventrilo- another ventriloquist show. And it just kind of, <laughs> it just kind of acknowledges it, I think, and it kind of cuts that tension a little bit. Did you perform through college or high school sometimes? Uh, no, I never really did anything. A clip on YouTube of me is my first time on stage in front of people really doing anything. So I got the impression from that clip on YouTube that you were performing at Second City. Was that part of the class or was that an actual professional gig? So you'd take a class for about 10 weeks and then at the end, you're part of a show. So it's like a pay- like people buy tickets and stuff and we sold it out. So it's a real audience. It was at the uh, John Candy Theater, which was pretty amazing to be in. Yeah, it was a real show. And then from there, I just started doing like open mics and stuff and then meeting people. And uh, I've been very fortunate to get booked on a lot of shows around Toronto and like a couple of towns around here. So it's a, it's one, it's a funny thing. Like we, you never really think about it. But once I got involved in it, there's literally thousands of people in Toronto who are doing this. <laughs> a little bit of competition there. A little bit, yeah. But there's a lot of people as potential audience members. So, you know. You're competing for a big pot. Yeah, it's a, it, the local comedy scene in Toronto is actually pretty, I think Toronto, Chicago, oh, not in that order, but it's kind of like LA, New York, Chicago. And I think Toronto's kind of on that list. We have quite a few people come out of here, actually. But it's interesting, just taking that course and being interested in comedy seemed to be enough of a launching pad to actually get you some gigs. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, I kind of feel like, I, I was telling a lot of blind jokes. I don't tell as many now. I try to branch out from it a bit. But it's, I wouldn't say it's a gimmick, but it does make you stand out, right? So I think some of the material I was doing was different because you don't see a lot of comedians with disabilities. Though there are some. And then um, I think that kind of gets you noticed, but you have to back that up with something. Like I don't think, <laughs> hopefully I'm not getting charity bookings, but um, it does make you stand out a little bit, I think. I know this is going to be weird for you because you usually perform in front of a live audience. Trust me, you've got a huge audience bigger than you could fit in most halls. (laughs) Could you do like an opening 30 seconds or a minute of one of your acts? Yeah, that's really tough. I could probably tell, I don't know, there's a story like this hell about 
work when I worked at, um, I worked in a hospital system. I was a manager in their surgical department, um, which you don't expect a blind manager in surgery, but I ran their IT systems. Um, but because of that, I knew all the doctors. So one of the doctors I knew was uh, the chief of neurosurgery, like a literal brain surgeon. I met with this guy all the time, really nice guy. And then uh, this one day we we're leaving the hospital and we're walking out and I'm using my cane and we're talking and we got to the front of the building and it was pouring rain. And he kind of looked around and said, oh, it's really raining, Todd. Are you parked very far? <laughs> it's, it's, it's a brain surgeon, right? And that was it. He didn't offer me a ride or anything. He just kind of walked away. <laughs> it's, a, it's funny with people. Like I had someone stop me last week, actually. Like literally, I was taking my dog out and he stopped me. And I think he thought it was a compliment that like, he said, oh, you're like, he was saying how I was like wearing clean clothes and stuff. Like it was really, really offensive. <laughs> and it's like i don't yeah like i'm 40 i have kids i have a family i have a job like what do you think blind people are like i don't know so you get those reactions and it's kind of there's an absurdity in it and a funny funniness in it but i don't know when you go for the bookings do you get any f feedback or reticence from the booking agents of these venues no not really the way it works it's usually there's a lot of producers in Toronto, so I know a lot of them now, so um, it's pretty easy, but I'll just tell the producer what's going on, and I have a few that I kind of do a lot of shows with now that are, one of them's kind of become like a mentor to me, so it makes it easier that a lot of the other comedians I've met now and the producers I've met now, so a lot of places kind of know me, to the point now there's one theater I do a lot that there's a bar under it, and it's just a major street with like a bike lane, and then it's hard to get an Uber there. So it's at the point now, this bar, the guy who owns the bar knows me. And if he sees me waiting for an Uber, he comes out and helps me get my Uber. So it's very supportive and it's very open. And it's it really is a great community. And the best thing about it is I'm very sarcastic. And I say a lot of things I shouldn't. But when you hang out with comedians, no one gets offended by anything. So it's a lot of fun. I guess they're used to that. Yeah, yeah. And what kind of reception do you get from the audience? I guess once you make them comfortable with your situation things just go pretty smoothly yeah i've been really lucky um that i've had a lot of good audiences the thing i'm trying to work on now is you don't want to do all blind jokes because you have to relate to them too and you kind of have a couple minutes where they will relate to it and you're kind of teaching them something and then you have to go into other stuff but it's it's been great and i think it actually there's part of it when i talk about people like petting my guide dog and stuff i think that actually it's not educational, but there are people who aren't aware of stuff like that. So me saying, if you pet my dog, I'm going to punch you in the head. That um, It's a joke, obviously. And that, like, sorry, that is one of my jokes is I say that every day someone pets my dog. And they always say they um, no, they're not supposed to and they can't help it. So what I do is when they bend down a pet them, I punch them in the back of the head, which I'm not supposed to, but I can't help it. <laughs> which is a joke, obviously, but stuff like that, I think it actually does make people realize you know it does it does impact this person if i go and pet their dog well that's interesting so not only are you being funny for these people and entertaining them but it's actually as you say it's kind of an educational moment too oh yeah it's, a, it's the greatest show ever made I, I will say that you know when i think of people performing on stage i think of looking at the audience sometimes making eye contact how does that impacted when you can't see the audience do you think that's an issue it is an issue. Um, I've been told I kind of come across like I don't really kind of aloof from it. Like I just tell my joke and then I tell my joke. But you kind of have to be because I, I can't have that. I'm not really talking to the audience that much. I don't know there's there. 
<laughs> there was one time I got invited on a show and I hadn't been doing it that long. And when I got there, it's, it's always disorganized. They're comedians. Nothing starts on time. No one shows up on time. So they put me out first, which is called the bullet position. Like you don't want to do, you don't want to do the bullet. It's the hardest position. So I went out and I did my set and it was kind of dead, but I brought them around. And by the end, it was a really good reaction. And when I got off stage, the producer said, um, sorry about that. I should have told you when you started, there was like nobody in the room and everyone was talking. And by the time you finished, everyone came and sat down and was paying attention. So it worked out well. I thought it was a full room and it was like nobody there. Oh, geez. Do you try to ever interact with the audience as some comedians do to maybe get a sense of where they are and maybe gaze around as if you're seeing them? I've, I've done that a little bit. Once in a while, I'll try and talk to someone one-on-one, but I'm not good at it. And how long do these sets last generally? I'm not like headlining or anything. So usually I'm between five and 10 minutes, which, which is actually doesn't sound like that much. But getting five minutes was brutally hard. Uh, and now 10 minutes is attainable, but it's still difficult. And in terms of preparation, I always think of when people put those routines together, you know, they're usually pretty tight, well thought out. As you said, in a short amount of time, you've got to make sure everything's there and everything's right. How long does it take you to prepare one of these routines? It's really, I'm kind of in that process of learning how to do that. It's very difficult. You practice, obviously and try and get an order, but you don't want to sound too rehearsed either. So I try and do like bullet points and then not rehearse my wording of things. But then over time, you seem to get to a point where it is rehearsed. So then you have to try and be conscious of trying to change it up. So yeah, just practice in my room or get out to open mics. I think the most difficult part about it is you have to be on time because there's other people coming up, but it's hard to judge that until you know how many people are there. And sometimes you don't get a reaction. And sometimes people laugh longer than you think. It's kind of tough. And then um, one of the other barriers, actually one of the biggest barriers with this is timing. Uh, when you get to a minute left, they, they light you. They shine a light at the back of the room. That's not helpful for you. No. So I make a joke out of it. I say, my time's almost up. They shine a light when, it's, when you're a minute left. Uh, obviously, if I see a bright light up here, my time's up, but not in the way they're thinking. <laughs> But so I do that, but to try and stay close, I set a timer on my, uh, I have an Apple watch. So I set that for like a minute 30 short. So hopefully the 30 seconds gets me to the stage. And when it buzzes at a minute left, I'm around a minute left. So it's, it's difficult. And the longer sets, it's harder, obviously to judge. It's been three minutes, then it's been 10 minutes. So it, it's a challenge. Yeah. 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 My impression of stand-up comedy is nobody brings notes. You have to do this totally. There's no cue cards. There's nothing, right? Kind of the opposite, actually. When you're doing just local like open mics and stuff, an open mic, you're usually performing just to other comedians. So people do bring notes and stuff, and I don't read Braille. I'm trying to learn Braille now. So I don't have a way to do that. So I have to memorize everything where a lot of people have notes. A lot of people just have like a bullet point list. They'll put it on like the stool or on the floor or something so they can refer to it. But yeah, I kind of, I have to memorize everything. Speaking of other comedians, what kind of reactions do you get from other comedians? It's been great, actually. Before I started, when I like read about the amateur comedy scene and stuff, it sounded like it wasn't that friendly. And I haven't found that at all. I guess it's like everything. It's who you migrate to. The people I've met and the people I've 
uh, hung around with are great. Um, like that second city class, I've taken two or three second city classes and there's like 12 people in the class and it seems to be three or four of them kind of stick with it. So I kind of have a group between that, that we kind of help each other out and we all meet, each, meet up and bounce ideas off each other and stuff. So there is a community out there and it's very supportive and it's a lot of fun. Well, it must be nice to meet people taking the class because in the class, it's not competitive when you're out looking for bookings. Anybody who you think is funny is a likely competitor to get a assignment that you're hoping to get yourself. Yeah, there's definitely that. Um, there's a competitive aspect to it, but it depends who it is too. Like I'm 45, so this is never going to be a career for me. There's people in their 20s who are out there that they want it to be a career for them. So like for me and the people I'm doing it with, we're not like that. Like if I get a booking, I'll tell the producer about my friends. Like we, we do help each other out, but there's definitely a competitive element. And there are people out there who are kind of cutthroat like that, but it's a, it's a hobby for me. How often do you figure you get to perform? Seems to kind of ebb and flow. Like my May was really good. I think I had 10 bookings during May, which is crazy high. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So um, but July, I'm doing mostly open mics. I think I have one or two things, but it's slowed down for the summer. You mentioned that you have two children, and I was wondering, do your children think you're funny? Yeah, I think they do. They kind of grow in a lot of my dad jokes, but overall, we have a lot of fun. They're they're both very much like me. They're very sarcastic. We have a lot of fun. You know, I'm much the same way. And our children, when they were young, used to grow at my jokes. And for one of my birthdays, they gave me a little book put together, Daddy's Joke Book. And it was completely <laughs> blank when you opened it up. <laughs> That's really funny. But my kids, they try and give me ideas. My 11-year-old son, I did a roast of a friend of mine for his 40th birthday. And my 11-year-old son's idea, which was actually a great joke. He said, you should just say 40 is when you shave your head and look for the expiration date. So, <laughs> Yeah, your son isn't 40 yet. No, no, he's 11 years old. That's a pretty funny joke for an 11-year-old kid, I thought. We had to postpone our interview with Todd due to a mishap. So when we thought we were done with the interview, Todd kindly asked how Pete was doing. Oh, I was going to ask, how's your ankle? Oh, <laughs> uh, well, it's, I was icing it as we were talking. Yeah, but it's okay? Yeah, it's, well, it'll, it'll Well, it's okay. broken. It's not great now. Broken. I mean, the biggest thing is, you know, we like to do a lot of hiking and walking. I like to run on my treadmill and stuff, and I just, you know, I'm grounded from all that stuff. And so I've been keeping a low profile. But I am going to get on my exercise bike and not press it too hard Yeah, just after we get off from this. So yeah. it could have been worse. It could have been worse. The day it happened was actually, I, I don't check my emails and stuff very often. So I had come in to record this when I saw the email. Oh. I came out, my wife said, you're, you're done? I said, oh, the, the host fell down the stairs and broke his ankle. <laughs> and she's like, and you just hung up? It's like, well, you thought, like, she thought I was on a call with him. And oh, he fell down funny. the stairs. And I was oh, like, geez. oh, I guess we're done. And I hung up. Oh, how funny. <laughs> well, that would have been the thing to do under the circumstances. It turned out it needed some medical attention, yeah. but it's oh, improving big time. Uh, just one of the things about being blind. It's the first time I've ever gotten hurt by anything like that. So I suppose I should consider myself lucky. Oh, at CIB, we call them blindness-related injuries. We all have them. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> The biggest injuries I usually get from being blind is that I'll be wandering around the house and walk into a wall. 
And it's amazing how easily a head can be split open and start bleeding. But fortunately, Nancy is really good with Steri-Strips. We were at Xerox one day, and I ran into something and split my head, and it started bleeding. And it wasn't a bad injury. Those happened to me all the time. And someone got really concerned. They called the EMTs. This announcement went up around Xerox. The EMTs come in, and they're like, you know, how are you feeling, sir? I'm okay. And they shine the flashlight into my eyes. You know, are you seeing double? I said, I wish. (laughs) And they just, you know, they didn't know I was blind. Yeah. And of course, everybody else in the room knew him. And so we all thought that was very funny. And we all laughed and the EMTs were just appalled. It's so funny. It's so funny. I love stuff like that when it's, yeah, I would have said, are you feeling okay? Sorry, I said, I'm blind. I can't see. Right, right. That's the other response (laughs) I sometimes give people, right? Yeah, yeah. My favorite one to do is people, um, I don't know if people ask you that, like, oh, you're blind, so you can, you must be able to hear better. And I always say, pardon? And they always repeat themselves every single time I've ever done it. <laughs> well, I can see how you easily get material from being blind for your act. For sure. Yeah, it's all a matter of attitude. I mean, some people are like, that would happen. And they're like, oh, woe is me. But, you know, you've turned it into a comedy routine just by your attitude of saying, well, you know, I could laugh or I could cry. Well, yeah. And I don't have the energy especially with everything that's going on the last couple of years. Like I don't, I don't want to be angry about anything, right? Like what's the point? So if you can laugh it off, it's obviously better. That is true. And that's my philosophy in life too. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. Now for this week's final item, how to learn more about getting started in stand-up comedy, and how to contact Todd Blankhorn. Well, Todd, if people want to learn more about you or come to some of your acts, where would you direct them? Uh, You can look me up on Instagram or uh, my YouTube channel. I'm going to start posting more stuff. There's only one thing on there right now. But yeah, just on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube, and it's Todd Blankhorn, B-L-E-N-K-H-O-R-N. And if people had questions for you, is there a way they could contact you directly? Yeah, sure. BlankhornPod at gmail.com. And you said you got your start in a class at Second City. Is I know there's Second Cities all over the place. Is that something you would recommend to other people who are interested in getting started? Or is there maybe some umbrella organization that people should check out if they're looking for ways to get started? Uh, usually there's a Reddit page or different resources for your city. Um, Second City also does online. Uh, so does, uh, I think, Upright Citizens does. There's a bunch of places to do online if you're in a smaller place. But if you look up your town, mostly uh, Second City is a lot of places. Or if you have a comedy club, a lot of them do it. For me, I found it was just a way to make you do it. Like they teach you how to edit jokes because everyone starts off doing really long jokes in the beginning. And it's hard to pull off. So they're not going to teach you how to be funny. They're going to teach you how to structure a joke, and they're going to make you get up there and do it. So if you're interested, absolutely. Everyone should do it, I think. It's a lot of fun. And as usual, you can find all of that contact information in the show notes associated with this episode at www.eyesonsuccess.net. That's it for show number 2232. Next week on Eyes on Success, we will be having a tribute to Eric Damery. 
Eric Damery just retired after a long career in the field of assistive technology, ending as VP of Software Product Management at Freedom Scientific, a Vispero company. We'll talk with him about how he got started in the field, how he worked to bring many of these technologies to people with vision loss, and how the marketing and distribution of assistive technologies for people with vision loss have evolved over the course of his career. We all certainly owe a lot to Eric, so we hope you'll join us next week for that episode. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy. You can access the full archive of previous shows, subscribe to the podcast, and much more by going to our website, www.eyesonsuccess.net. If you have questions about anything you've heard on the show or have suggestions for future shows, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. Thank you for listening and have a nice day.